Hey, and welcome again to uh, Rockbridge Community Church, wherever you've gathered with us in Calhoun, Dalton, Chatsworth, Ringgold, or Hickson. So thanks so much for being here. You've joined us in our back-to-school, kind of end-of-the-summer, start-of-fall series called I Am Not a Quitter. And uh, just as, as way of review and to kind of get us all on the same page, we've talked about that almost in any season or any arena or any endeavor of life, there's four zones. There's, and we've listed them several times, there's the A zone or the promise zone. You know, that's, hey, it's a new baby. Hey, we just got married. It's a new job. I'm a new believer. I'm a new Christian. And it's the zone of promise. And everything looks great and everything's amazing. And then we hit the zone of problems, right? Uh, marriage is hard. Uh, life has hard things that happen. Uh, bad things can happen. Evil things can happen. Adversity, suffering, uh, difficulty, opposition, and those problems tend to, in our heart and mind sometimes, feel bigger, greater than the promise. And so we go into this quit zone, and, and we're tempted to give up, and we're tempted to quit. And then if we do that, we miss the C zone, which is the payoff zone, which is a life walking with Jesus faithfully, which is a, a death-do-you-part kind of marriage, or, or, or whatever the case may be. And so we've just been saying all along, if we can unlearn some things and learn some things, that God's will for us is, is don't quit, uh, don't be a quit. And, and he's given us some resources and tools for that. Well, a, as we've talked about this, it strikes me that this sequence, and we'll leave this up for just a second, that there's another danger that we have that can take us inadvertently or not into this, into this quit zone. And I'll illustrate it this way. I don't know uh, if, if any of you get these for gifts, like gift cards, right? I, they're like my favorite, okay? And, and, I, and I say that, and then I tell you this story. So like a couple, about a year ago, uh, part of a team I'm on, we got to go eat at this amazing restaurant down in Atlanta. It's called Raised by the River, all right? And I didn't have to pay for it either, which was even better because it's expensive. But it's some of the best food I've ever put in my mouth. And I come home, I tell Beth about it because she didn't get to go. And then uh, lo and behold, a couple weeks later, somebody gives us a gift card. And it's paid for, you know, and it'll pay for Beth and I both kind of have a date night or evening or whatever. So it's like the gift card is like the promise. Hey, it is paid for, okay? And all you got to do is push forward, schedule, get in your car, drive, and you get the payoff of a good meal. And then literally like a few days ago, Beth finds the gift card like, hey, we still had not used this yet. We haven't pushed forward, we haven't experienced, we haven't had the, the payoff because we haven't pursued it. We haven't moved forward uh, to, to receive it. And, and so here's the question I want us to wrestle with, okay? If life has promises and God is a promise-keeping God, what if we are not experiencing all that's been provided? What, what if there are things that God has for us that have been paid for, what if there are things that God has for us that he has promised us and all we have to do, all we have to do is move forward, persevere in our pursuit of what God has provided. But what if we don't? And what if we don't press forward? And what if we don't take God up on his word and push forward and push through those zones? Another way of looking at this is to look at it through the lens of a sort of famous Super Bowl story. It's like Super Bowl 27. Uh, a defensive lineman for the Dallas Cowboys named Leon Lett recovers a fumble in the Super Bowl and has an opportunity to score a touchdown. Let's take a look at what happened to Leon. Pressure sacked by Jeff Curry. And fumble. And Leon Lett pushes oh, out of the 40. Oh, look out. Here he goes. Here comes Leon. To the 20. Go, Leon. 
fumble. It's a fumble. He had it knocked out of his hand. He was oh, hot dogging no. and held it out at the two-yard line. And from behind, the Bills came and knocked it out of his hand. Oh, 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 it's not, not going to be a touchdown. No, it's not. Don Beebe caught him from behind. And to this day, whenever a play like that happens in college or in the NFL, they say the guy pulled a Leon Lett. He pulled up too early. He didn't press forward. The touchdown was his in a Super Bowl, and, and he let up, and he let down, and he didn't pursue what had been provided in that play during that big game. So here's what we've been saying for the past couple of weeks, and we're going to add to it. We've been saying that hard equals good. And that we had to unlearn some things, right? Because we think hard equals bad. Bad means I got to quit, right? But, but with God and his sovereignty and his eternal goodness, then God can take hard things and bring good things out of them. And that's what we did in part one. And then last week, we said hard equals can, that I can do it. I can do it through Christ who gives me strength. And we said the word can't, four-letter word, we're not going to use it anymore because the distance between can't and quit is like a millimeter. But there's another challenge that we have. Just because we can in Christ does not mean we will. Just because I can have a free dinner at Raised by the River does not mean I will. Just because Leon Lett can score a touchdown in the biggest game in the NFL in the world does not mean he will. And so the question we have to ask is this. Is the problem in the promise or in our pursuit of the promise? And if we're not careful, a lot of times we'll say, well, the problem, the problem is in the promise. It's not worth it, or I don't want to do it, or I don't want to make the effort to seize it, to receive it, to enjoy it. You know, I know it's paid for, but i got to schedule time. i got to drive somewhere. Uh, the problem, though, might be in our pursuit of the promise. So we have to add to our diagram. We have our four zones. We have the A zone. We have the B zone. <clears throat> if you can go to that slide, please. We have the, the Q zone, and then we have our pursuit of it. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful, we might let up and inadvertently or not move into the Q zone and quit because we quit pursuing what has been promised. We take what has been promised and we don't pursue it. And so all this is is an empty promise. It's one thing for you to be given a gift. It's another thing for you to open it, receive it, and be blessed by it. And so what if we're quitting because we're pulling up from the end zone? What if we're quitting because we're never cashing in what's already been promised, provided, and paid for? So to illustrate that and to show you the power of this, let's gonna, we're going to open God's Word and go to the book of 2 Kings. 2 Kings. We'll be in 2 Kings chapter 13. Very incredible, amazing story in, in the Bible, and I love it. We're in the ministry of the prophet Elisha. And the prophet Elisha um, does miracles and works ministry in, in the kingdoms of Israel. And, and so he is near the end of his life, and he's going to be called in or go see uh, go, or, or be seen by the king. And, and there's this amazing little interaction that at first you're like, why is this even in the Bible? And it, it's so amazing. It's so beautiful. Just a couple of verses. So 2 Kings chapter 13, we'll start reading uh, here in verse 14. When Elisha, this is God's prophet, became sick with the illness from which he died. So he is going to be moving toward uh, going to be with the Lord. 
<clears throat> King Jehoash of Israel went down and wept over him and said, My father, my father, the chariots and horsemen of Israel. So he say, look, you are Israel's strength. You are Israel's warrior. God favors Israel because of you, because of your presence, because of your ministry, because of your prayers. And, and, and so this is a crisis moment for the king. Now let me call time out. This is important. This king, Jehoash, he's not really like a good king. Israel and Judah during this time, the divided kingdom, they have good kings, they have bad kings, meaning some kings are spiritual leaders, some kings are, are morally and spiritually bankrupt. Jehoash is not like this moral, great spiritual leader of a king, but he recognizes the favor of God on his kingdom comes through Elisha. So when Elisha is physically sick, he, he's weeping and he's distraught and all these things are going on. And so Elisha is going to teach him a lesson and one that is preserved in Scripture by the Holy Spirit to teach us and give us a lesson too. So the story continues in verse 15. Elisha responded and said, get a bow and arrows. And Israel at this time is constantly faced with war, and they have enemies all around them, the Aramaeans in particular. So he got a bow and arrows, and then Elisha said to the king of Israel, grasp the bow. Now he's on his, you know, kind of on his deathbed. He's like, grab your weapons and grasp the bow. And so the king grasped it. And Elisha put his hand, hands on the king's hands. And Elisha said, open the east window. So in Jerusalem, the east window would face the Aramaeans or face what is modern day Syria. And that's the enemy. That's where the enemy is attacking from or would might invade from or where the battle's going to be. So he says, open the east window. So he opened it and Elisha, Elisha said, shoot. So he shot. And then Elisha said, the Lord's arrow of victory. Yes, the arrow of victory over Aram. You are to strike down the Arameans in Afak until you have put an end to them. Now stop and let's hold that and think about that for just a second. Culturally, this is significant. I don't know if you've ever watched like a Florida State football game and how the, the Seminole comes out on the, on the horse and drives a spear in like the, the middle of the field as a symbol of the pending Florida State Seminole victory, okay? Culturally, if you drove an arrow down, this is symbolic of a, a battle is about to ensue and we are going to win the battle, and we're going to defeat the battle. It's like Babe Ruth, World Series, calls his shot and then hits a home run. It's, it's symbolic of something that is about to happen. So Elisha takes that cultural symbol and uses it to prophetically say, God is going to give you victory. God is not going to give you a partial victory. God is not going to give you half a victory. God is not going to give you a first down. He's going to give you a touchdown. You will put an end to this menace, to this evil nation that threatens Israel. So this is all about God promising a victory. This is all about God saying, hey, I've paid for it. It's promised. It is yours. The, it, the path is opened right in front of you. So there's a couple of things that we want to draw from this. A couple of things is this. God has this unexpected and yet consistent habit of coming to us from our destiny, not our history. So he comes to this evil king, Jehoash, and says, look, God's promised something for you. There's a future for you. As the leader of this, even after Elisha dies, there's a future victory for you. And, and your destiny is to be the military and the leader and the king, the political leader that will achieve this victory that God has paid for, that God has promised for you. So God has this unexpected habit of coming to you and, and communicating his desires for you. 
And, and that means he's, he's motivated and he's driven by grace. It's not our performance. And that God wants to relate to you based on your future. And he promises something in the future. He promises to make us like Christ. He promises to take us to heaven when we die, irregardless of uh, our inability to keep the law when we put our faith in Jesus Christ. So God promises these things to us, and that's how he entices us towards our destiny. So here's how this works, okay? God gives what we're going to call grace-based and blood-bought promises. Now, I'm going to have to explain that, but just hear the concept. God gives grace-based and blood-bought promises. So somebody gives me a gift card for Raised by the River, all right? That is, they just give it to me. That is grace. I didn't earn it. I didn't, I didn't have to pay them back for it. I didn't say, hey, go down there and buy me a gift card. They did that on their own, and it was with their money, okay? So in the same way, God wants to give us something free that does not depend on us being goody-goody or us being perfect or us having everything together. And he gives it based on grace, but in his case, it's bought, and I'll show you this, with the blood of Jesus. All right, so watch this in Scripture, okay? And, and how we can apply Old Testament principles to the New Testament era in which we live. So 2 Peter 1, 3, and 4 says this, His divine power has given us everything required for life. That's a promise. And for godliness. And how does he do that? Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness, by his grace. By these he has given us very great and precious promises, promises for the future, promises you'll score the touchdown, promises you got a good meal waiting for you by raised by the river, right? Promises, so that through them you may share in the divine nature, escaping the corruption that is in the world because of evil desire. So stop. Every single one of us, whether we follow God or sin or whatever we do, there's a desire involved. Sin promises. It feels good. You'll get ahead. You'll be rich. You know, sin feels good for a season. Sin, though, tends to overpromise and underdeliver, right? That's what sin does. But you're enticed by the promise of sin, okay? And, and you choose to sin. So God comes along and gives us a promise of something that He's paid for by grace. And, and the, the battle is, are, are God's promises superior or are God's promises inferior? And that's the tension that we feel. Now, here's where God goes and says, I've paid for these promises, and they're yes. He says this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For every one of God's promises, even those that we find in the Old Testament, are yes or, or is yes in Him or in Christ. So God is saying yes. So here's what happens. When we seize and act upon a promise... Our wills or our choosing capacity are empowered. Because remember what I said, right? Just because we can does not mean we will. Just because we can get into the end zone does not mean we will. Just because we can go have a free meal and a free dinner that's bought and paid for does not mean we will. So something has to empower, something has to activate our ability to choose, our ability to make decisions in the direction of the promises. So if I told you right now, hey, the hot donut sign is on at Krispy Kreme, right? There's a promise. And you can sit here and say, 
say, well, I don't want to miss church because maybe God's going to say something. But you can also say, I don't want to miss a donut. I don't, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And there's a tension right there. And, you have, and you're going to choose based upon your desires, based upon your promise. So when God comes to you and, and says, I want to give you my life. But I want to give you my son. I want to give you forgiveness. I want, but you got to give me the steering wheel of your life. You have a choice. You have a promise. Well, I want to be in charge of my life and I want to, you know, take my own shots at being good enough and maybe God will be okay with that. Or, or you can say, no, I got to give God my life and God my sins. And, and there's a battle there. So when God comes to us and says, hey, I want to relate to you based on your destiny, not your history, he wants to empower our will activate our will, energize our will to choose Him and to move forward with Him. And then our response, if it's to go with God, is then we live by or we act in faith. And it's the faith of pursuit. It's I will pursue Christ because He's better. I, I, I will pursue purity because that's better than impurity. I, I, I will pursue to put God in charge of this because that's better than me being in charge of this. That pushes us forward. Promise, problem, into payoff. Because remember, just because we can in Christ, through Christ, does not mean we will. So God promises, which activates, empowers our choosing to step and move in his direction. Let me illustrate this with an Old Testament battle story. Joshua, book of Joshua, chapter 10. All right, fantastic story. There's a war that's broken out, right? And God tells Joshua, hey, listen, you go, and if you show up, you are going to win. Promise, payoff. Promise, show up and fight, payoff you will have complete victory. Here it is in, in Joshua 10, 8, 9. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, promise. Don't be afraid. Don't let your fear of the problem outweigh your hope in the promise. Isn't that a problem for us, right? We let our fear get in the way of what God's promised. So God says, don't be afraid. I have given them into your hand. Well, not really, not yet. In the future, I will. This is called future grace. This is called future grace, that following Christ, following Yahweh will be better than if you don't follow him. So don't fear. I've given them. Not one of them will be able to withstand you because I'm with you. There's one condition for Joshua. This battle is 25 miles away from where his troops and his army currently is, about 20, 20 25 miles away. So what does Joshua do? Does he stop and pull a Leon let? Does he leave the gift card on the dresser for his wife to find 10 months later? Listen to what it says. After an all-night march from Gilgal, Joshua took them by surprise and routed them. For the victories that God has promised you, for the victories that God wants his people to receive, you might have to march all night and pursue and get into the end zone. You might have to move forward, but you're moving forward in faith. Act, you're choosing what God has promised, what God has paid for, what God has provided. So the question we wrestle with here is this. Well, what has God promised? Where, 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 where is complete victory promised? And, and, am, and am I pulling up short of the end zone? And, and am I leaving 
un, I'm I leaving paid for promises, uncashed, unused, unenjoyed? Am I not experienced what God has provided? Let me show you a sample of what I'm talking about as we get into God's Word. And I'm praying for all of us right now that one of these promises might grip your heart and grip your soul so much that you'd be willing to march all night to receive what God has bought and paid for. For some of you, it's this promise of complete forgiveness. Now, here's what I mean. God promises to completely forgive you of every bad thing you have ever done or will do. And, and some of us are like, no, 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 no. You don't know what I've done, done. And others of you maintain this posture of respectable goodness where you think, well, I'm a pretty good person. I'll take a little bit of Jesus, you know, but really at the end of the day, I'm okay. So you have the person who thinks God doesn't want to forgive them. And then you have the person who thinks, well, they really don't need complete forgiveness because they're not that bad of a person. So you have self-righteousness and you have self-condemnation. Here's God's promise, Romans 3, 21. Here it is. But now apart from the law, apart from goody-goody, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested to by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is through faith. How do, we, how do we pursue God's promises? By faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All good people have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In God's eyes, there's no good people. There's sinful people. There's depraved people. How, how do they become right with God? They are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, God presented him, Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice in his blood. So it's blood bought by grace through faith, received. How do we receive it? Through faith. We receive it that, that what God gives us in Christ pays for our debt in sin. For we conclude, Paul concludes, that a person is justified, made right, by faith apart from their works, or their self-righteousness. Some of you today need to receive forgiveness and become a Christ follower. It's bought. It's paid for. You receive it by faith, which means you lay down your filthy rags of righteousness because that's what they are in God's sight. You quit being self-righteous and religious, and you lay down, or you lay down your self-condemnation, and you say, God, I, just need, I want the complete forgiveness. I'm not going to pull up short in faith. Some of you need complete deliverance. And here's what I mean by complete deliverance. A lot of people become a Christian and then they negotiate with sin. They compromise with sin. They don't believe they can no longer sin. And it's nobody's perfect. God will just forgive me. Nobody's perfect. God understands. Do you know what God promises? God promises, and he paid for it. God promises that we can live free from the controlling power of sin. And we can walk and live in a new direction, not under the influence of sin. And too many times in church, we do not talk about the fact you are, also, you are free from the penalty of sin. That's what we just talked about. And you are also free from the power of sin. Don't pull up short of the end zone. Don't leave money on the table. Cash that and live in that. Listen to the Word of God, Romans 8. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. If that's sleep with your boyfriend, you have no obligation to that. If that's be greedy and, not, and, and rob the tithe from God, you have no obligation to that. If that's be prideful and boastful, you have no obligation for that. If that's being insecure and ruled by fear, you have no obligation to that. Thus says the Word of God, bought and paid for 
For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live for all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. Complete deliverance. Do not sit down at night and be comfortable praying, God, forgive me for the sin that I've done today. God, by your Spirit, deliver me. It's promised and it's paid for. Don't Leon let. Don't leave it on the dresser when it's paid for by the blood of Jesus. Another area is fellowship and oneness with God. God wants to be one with you. God wants to be so close to you, the, 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 the strongest analogy he can give is the human relationship of marriage. Fellowship and oneness with God. Not knowing about God, not knowing facts about God, but knowing God personally and experientially. That's what God wants for you. Listen to this, John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. We obey out of love. My Father will love him, and we will come to him. This is Jesus talking, and make our home with him. God will dwell with us. And he's using the same terminology as when the Shekinah glory of God in the Old Testament filled the temple, that the glory, the manifest, the special presence of God will fill the believer. Fellowship and oneness, complete. Don't stop and say, well, I relate to God through the preacher or don't stop and say, well, I, 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 I'm just sort of comfortable. I know a little bit about God. Press in and be one with God. Identity. And this is a big one, right? How many of us have identity issues? You have midlife crisis. You're a teenager. You're who am I? Why am I here? How many of us have identity issues? And how many of us are like, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm also a mom. How many of us you know, don't really know who we are, and it depends on our circumstances, and we're wrestling with that, and we're insecure about that, and we're trying to prove ourselves. Listen to the identity God wants you to enjoy and have completely. Galatians 4. When the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. He paid for your adoption. And because we are his children, God sends the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba or Daddy, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. You are no longer a slave to what other people think about you. You are no longer a slave to your past. You are no longer a slave to what somebody did to you when you were a child or what happened to you in your first marriage. You are no longer a slave to your performance. You are not a slave to what our society says a woman or a man should be. You are what? God's own child. Do not pull up short of that identity. Press on. Get into the end zone. Go cash what he paid for. And since you are made his child, or since God has made you his child, he's made you his heir. Receive it. Enjoy it. Don't quit on it. How about the area of spiritual warfare? Irritates me when Christians walk around like Satan has won or is winning. Hey, we have an enemy. But he's defeated. Colossians 2.15. Christ disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. God doesn't want you to have first downs, but touchdowns. God doesn't want you to let up. 
Don't walk around defeated. Don't walk around thinking Satan has won. Satan has lost. How about another area? Attitude and anxiety. I, I, we could all raise our hands. How many of us suffer from fear or lack of peace or stress or worry? And we think that's normal. It's okay. That's just life. Is it normal not to use what's been given? Is it normal to almost score a touchdown in the Super Bowl and let up at the end? Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, now you got to pray. You got to march all night. You got to pray. And you got to beg God. And you got to unload burdens on God and petition with thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says it this way Humble yourselves. For some of us, humbling ourselves is like marching all night. That's the, that's the pursuit of faith. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. God doesn't want you to live in anxiety. God doesn't want you to live in fear. God doesn't want you to let up before you experience the full victory. How about another one? Strength and help. Strength and help is ours. Not just, not just additive help. Not just like, you know, an Alka-Seltzer to take the edge off or a movie to make us forget about our problems, but real strength in them. So he says this in Isaiah 41, 10, and all God's promises are yes in Christ. That takes the Old Testament promise and applies it to us, blood bought. Don't be afraid for I am with you. Don't be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up with my what? My victorious right hand. That's the kind of help we get. So don't let up. And then finally, to the rock bridgers in the room, the mission of God. The mission that God wants our church on. God doesn't want us in maintenance mode. God doesn't want us in us for and no more mode. God doesn't want us sitting here thinking church is just an hour a week. When he promises this in Psalms 2-4. Ask of me. That's your march all night. And I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. The church goes out and makes disciples of all nations. Bringing them in. Teaching baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's why we press and pray for people outside the family of God. That's why we give and go and live sent for people outside the family of God. That's why we say don't let up at, this, at the two-yard line. Don't leave cash, don't leave good for, bought for, paid for money on your dresser to discover later on. So with all those promises, bought, paid for, in grace, by blood, ours through faith, what could possibly go wrong? With the end zone in front of Leon Lett and not a tackler in sight. What could possibly go wrong? With a promise of complete victory over the armies of the Arameans, from Elisha to the king, what could possibly go wrong? Verse 18, back to 2 Kings. Then Elisha said, take the arrows. So he took them. Then Elisha said to the king of Israel, strike the ground or shoot the arrows. So he struck the ground three times and stopped. Who told him to stop? Who told him to stop? The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then, then you would have struck down Aram and you would have put it into them. But now you will strike him down only three times. Your victory will be incomplete. Leon let who told you to stop? 
who told you not to go and take what was yours, what was promised, what was paid for? Who's telling you not to stop? Who's telling you to stop pursuing what all God has for you? Who's telling you to stop and, and, and live with self-righteousness? Who's telling you to stop and live in self-condemnation? Who's telling you to settle for an incomplete victory in your marriage or over your finances or in your addiction? Who's telling you to stop? Not God. And hear me, church. And hear me. God is not pleased with partial victories. God is not pleased with partial victories when He has provided the complete deal, the complete victory. So wrestle with this. What was King Johash's sin? What was his sin? I think, and, and I've checked this on multiple commentaries because this was a tough one for me to get my head around. I think it's half-heartedness, lack of zeal, and lack of passion. Three times will be enough. What kind of victory do we want? A full one or a complete one? You want a first down or a touchdown? <laughs> you want a meal bought and paid for at a great restaurant? Or you settle for crystal? Don't let up and don't stop. Now here's the warning for us. Here's the big warning. Okay? Just because we believe the promise is true does not mean we believe it's worthwhile. All right? Just because God's promise too does not mean we'll pursue as if it's worthwhile. Does not mean we perceive the promise and the payoff as worth it, as valuable. So we let up or we stop or we get hung up. And listen, that's the difference sometimes between saving faith and satanic faith. Because I want to tell you something. Satan believes every promise I have just read to you. Satan believes every... Satan knows he's lost. Satan knows Christ is the Son of God. Satan knows Christ died to set sinners free and adopt men and women into, his forever, into the forever family of God. Satan knows God will have victories from every tribe, every tongue. Satan knows he's defeated. Satan knows God has given the cure for fear, anxiety, and, and stress, and lack of peace. Saving faith says, but I'm going to pursue God. See, there's a difference between I believe in God and I believe God. You can believe God in God, but not believe God enough to march all night. You can believe in God. He exists. He was born of a virgin. He died on a cross. And I believe in the resurrection. That doesn't mean you have received the power and the gifts won by the resurrection. That doesn't mean you've marched all night to receive what God has bought and paid for. Satan believes in God. Satan believes in the promises God, of God. But Satan stops and says, they're not worth my effort. They're not worth marching all night for. I'll stay right here where I am. And Satan is defeated, and God doesn't want you defeated with Satan. He wants you victorious in Christ. So hear me, church. God will not bless steps we will not take. God will not bless steps we will not take. His blessings always come through faith in his promises that we are willing to march all night to take what is bought, what is paid for by the goodness and grace of our glorious God. So here's our challenge, here's our prayer. That we would grow our commitment to match the completeness 
of God's victorious provision. You know your commitment by the level of passion and zeal. And we would grow our commitment to match the completeness of God's victorious provision. So here, here's, our, here's our application, here's our prayer. God is saying yes to you. What's your response? Where do you need to press forward? For some of you right now, you know you are not a saved Christian. You know you, would, you are apart from God. And you have heard that God has paid for your adoption. You have heard that God has paid for your forgiveness. You have heard that God has paid for your deliverance. Will you not let up right now and just say yes to God's yes to you in Christ? Some of you came in here and you're stressed and you're burdened and you're weary. Would you say yes to God's yes to you that he will help you with his victorious right hand? Some of you walked in here and you don't know if you have a purpose and you're spending your life on yourself and God's calling you to mission. God's calling you to live sent. Would you say yes? Would you say yes to however, by the presence of the Holy Spirit, God is saying yes to you? Let's pray together. Father God, first, reveal right now by your Spirit where we might be accepting a partial victory. Holy Spirit, would you give the promise in our minds and the promise in our souls that would ignite our choosing, our wills to pursue in faith, to march all night in the direction that you've paid for, in the payoff that you've provided. God, have your way in your people. I thank you. I thank you that in Christ, all your promises for forgiveness, to be fearless, to be stressless. Your promises are yes in Christ. God, don't let your people let up. Don't let us slow up. Don't let us quit when it's bought, when it's paid for, when it's promised. This we pray. In the name that's above all names. The name of our promise-giving, promise-keeping God. The Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.